Hi there, this is Jim the Keys Bartender coming to you from Key Largo. And if you're not familiar with the Keys Bartender podcast, we are a podcast about Keys life, bartending, life in general. But uh, not necessarily in that order. Uh, you may have noticed over the last week that I hadn't dropped... I may have dropped one episode last week, I'm not sure. But this week I had some special attention. I will talk about it. I don't know if you'd be interested in it, but I'll tell you about it. I did have my father's memorial. You know, he passed. Uh, it's been about five weeks since he passed, and he had, you know, ongoing issues and that. And um, I spent the week thinking about his eulogy that I was preparing. It's more the memorialization. A eulogy, I think, is more for funerals. I'm you know, talk about celebration of life. I also want to talk about uh, drinking on a plane. Now, I don't drink anymore, but I am a astute observer of people that do drink on a plane. And I used to drink on planes, and I used to really go for it. And I'll give you, I guess, a brief rundown of what I ran into. This is part of Key's life and dealing with traveling down here. And uh, maybe later on in the week, I'll talk about how I, I struggled to really summarize so much into what I had to say about my father, who I cared about very deeply. I, I'm able to talk about it. I just want to think about it for a while. But I'm going to talk about the trip in general. I had made a mistake. If you live in the Keys or you live in a place where you're on the peripheral of a big city, you I'm sure you're astutely aware of being... Uh, you, you know, you could be in a, a, an area where we, we get traffic down here in the Keys, but you really get that volume of traffic you get in Miami, especially when you get into the airport. South Florida is a very congested area. So we were going up to, um, first of all, the decision I have, I think most of your listeners know, I'm originally from Philadelphia, but my father had retired and moved to Dover. And the rest of my family had relocated outside uh, the northern part of Baltimore, near the Towson area. So I had to decide, you know, if I when I go up to Philadelphia, I would have to go and visit friends and things like that. But since it was more of a family-related uh, obligation, which was going for memorial service, I had decided to go to BWI, which you always have to think about the airport. Now... Timing is everything. So I know it was going to be taken off Friday. I didn't want to get, uh, there was no option to leave it on Saturday because the memorial service was Saturday morning, but I wanted to visit. So I'm taking my wife and my daughter, and you're thinking, well, how much time do I want to spend in traffic when I'm going? And I always think, go early in the morning, go early in the morning. But there was no flights around, ideally it would have been, 7.30, and we would have gotten there an hour early, maybe. You know, plan to get there around 6 o'clock, quarter, you know, maybe that, 6 o'clock. That would have been a perfect thing. That's when the, the traffic's just picking up. But there was no option for flights then, the BWI. There was a 6 o'clock flight, which was, I have to say, not my best decision. It was not my best decision. It was on a Friday morning. I worked Thursday night. We had an unusually busy Thursday night at our restaurant. And it ended up getting out of there at 1030. 
and I'm not familiar uh, with your sleep habits, but generally when I get out of work, it takes me about a half hour to 45 minutes to get into the sleep mode. You know, I have to let my metabolism slow down and get to sleep. So, but I ended up, I, the way I thought about it, we had to leave at around 3.30 in the morning in order to check our one check bag we wanted to have because we had to make sure we had nice clothing for the trip. So we, we left at um, 3.30, so I had to wake everyone up around 3 o'clock. I ended up getting a grand total of maybe an hour and a half sleep that night which is not the best way to travel. I understand that. But I'll tell you, driving-wise, at that time in the morning, there is nothing going on. So you think, wow. You know, you sacrifice your sleep, but you get kind of like one of those dystopian end-of-the-world things where everything's empty and nothing's going on. The airport is, is very quiet and things like that. Not true about Miami International Airport. Now, I am not going to bitch about the Trans, uh, Transportation Safety Administration, but there were certain people that are kind of lackadaisical about their jobs. So if you fly certain airlines, the one airlines we were flying, they had I had parked close to the gate that the ticket had said, or, you know, you download that stuff, where it was going to leave from. And I parked on on-site parking, so you say that. So we get out there, and it turns out it was about at least maybe around, it seemed like a quarter mile to go down to the check-in where you drop off your luggage. So it wasn't even near there. So I went and dropped that off, and I came up, and on my ticket... I had one different gate, but then I looked up on the departures board and had moved to another gate or another terminal. So I go to that terminal with the wife. You know, we had already walked a, you know, a half mile and back and forth. And when we got there, they said, uh, they looked at my ticket and they said, that airline leaves from G. And I said, no, but they changed it. They changed the flight. The flight changed. And it's supposed to leave from J. And they said, no, they all leave from G. So we went down there. And you know what? This, I, I can blame that. I, I mean, I try, attempt to blame the person, but I should have just gone with what was written and what was displayed. I should have just done that because obviously that person was kind of mailing it in at that time and it was my job to do that. So we went all the way down to the terminal. We waited in, it was a relatively short time to go through TSA to security. And then we walk into the terminal and look for the gate and we're looking for the gate. And it's none of those are the flights to Baltimore. So I go up to one of the counters and ask the airline representatives, listen, we have this ticket here and it says this J. And but we're here at Gene. He said, You gotta go all the way back to Jay. And we and I said, Can we go through? Um, we already went through security. He said, the terminals are not uh, connected. So you're gonna have to go out security and then go back in. And then we went back, we met the TSA person, and I said, Listen, we went to G, our flight's not there, and um, please be careful about sending people that way because there are 
this airline is leaving from a, a gate here. And the person says, no, it's back at G. And I said, please stop that. Please stop that. And said, Jay. Oh, and then they changed the flight. And they said, you know, that happens sometimes too. And she looked at me and I said, yeah, that happens sometimes. So we ended up going back and we had in with all that time, we had eaten up uh, the buffer that we gave ourselves. We eaten up about 35 minutes. So the time was getting a little condensed for us, tight. So we're moving and we have people, if you travel uh, recently because of how they nickel and dime you with your suitcases and carry on and stuff like that, people coming from Miami going to colder climes wear their outer garments in order to not have to put them in their luggage. So we were the people that were in front of us at TSA. They're wearing their luggage. And they get up to the line. And I said, well, have you ever flown before? And the people said, yes. I said, why aren't you already removing your outer garments in order to put them in the thing? And they said, we just wait until we get to And I said, can we jump in front of you? And they said, you know, no. So we ended up waiting another 10 minutes. So we go running. And But besides that, we did have a... Uh, the flight itself was great. Coming back, we got ended up being delayed, and we got in. Uh, I had scheduled it so we'd fly in and get back here in Miami at nine o'clock on Sunday night, and it ended up being an hour delayed. So we got in, ended up getting in at twelve o'clock. But either way, it was uneventful. You know, doing the car rental and all that stuff. It was. It's much more. I hate to say this, but not about my hometown. My hometown airport, Philadelphia, it's a decent airport, but there's nothing like going to a place where they have a consolidated rental car place. Oh, when we were returning the rental car, the interesting thing about that, you, we were driving around, and the rental car company the re, where they received their cars, it wasn't open. So we ended up going into the next one and ended up being the wrong one. We had to get in the line with the people leaving, checking out the cars and try to get back in again. And they were all combining all the uh, two rental car companies were receiving the car. So we ended up spending an extra 45 minutes in that. But we had plenty of time. We had plenty of time getting on the plane. So it was a rather event, uneventful uh, except for the day we went. And I know now I'm thinking, you know what? What's so bad is about sitting in the traffic for two hours. It's just one of the times we're just going to have to eat that time. Meaning, yeah, we're going to have to get out. If, if it's 2 o'clock flight or not 2 o'clock flight. It's usually around the half. Um, you got to gauge it so you're not traveling in a rush hour. And in Miami, rush hour, there's traffic on the roads all day. But the most severe of it is between like most places, 6 to 9 and 3 and 6.30, let's say. And then, so if you're right, you got that 10 o'clock to 3 o'clock window in the middle of the day. But otherwise, if you end up going to traffic, and I tried doing, I tried doing that. I hate sitting in traffic, but then again, I'm going to have to learn to be able to accept that extra hour, hour and 15 minutes that you get stuck in traffic. So I don't have to sacrifice my sleep. That one hour and 15 minutes, the night of sleep, the night before, it just doesn't cut it. 
So why not just take that out, give away that hour and 15 minutes to the traffic? Because I'm not sleeping in the middle of the day. So I learned something on this trip. And then also on the trip, I noticed, boy, people do like to drink before they get on the plane and during the plane. I love doing it. I used to love doing it, going to the airport and pay those, pay those low, airport, low airport prices. I'm just kidding. They're outrageous, right? You get a draft beer, you know, draft bud for like, I don't know what it is now. It could be like $8 or crazy. I think when they had a 20-ounce glass, which should give you a bigger one, but it was, it could have been anywhere from 8 to $11 for a draft beer where you go to other places. High, high would be $4 for a draft bud and low would be $2. But yeah, in the airport, they, it's just one of those things. There's some municipalities really interesting about it. They're going to say they call it, um, I, well, I forget the word that they use for it, but you are entrapped in that area. And if you want to have a drink, you're going to have to pay for it right now. But some of these places are just starting to say, hey, listen, you can't, you can't charge that. But I think that may be an enticement for people to have to work at the airport because it's a pain in the ass. When you have to work at an airport, imagine that. If you're a bartender, you, a lot of times you got to park a couple miles away from your place of work. Unless you're, I mean, if you're a bartender at a good place in there, you may be willing to pay, pay the 25 bucks to park in the short-term parking you know it gets to be like $25 a day or you go and park in the employee one you have to wait for a bus so no matter how you know close you are to the airport you're still spending a little time I guess you can I guess you could take public transportation and come right there kind of makes sense of doing do the uber thing but it just got to be a pain in the ass and then obviously you're Whenever you're getting off your transportation, you're walking at least a quarter, a quarter to a half a mile. But the benefits have to be great. I'd love to talk to an airport bartender. And if I lived in uh, one of those areas, I think that would be like an exciting job. How many, how often do you get regulars there? I mean, you should, you might have the regulars for people that have to travel to certain cities all the time on certain airlines, and you may recognize the frequent travelers. But other than that, almost from day to day, you're seeing a different person. I have somewhat of a exposure to that working in a tourist town where people come in. You don't see the same people every day. At one of those corner corner water watering holes in like philadelphia or any small or big city we don't have a lot of people coming through it's always kind of exciting when you have a new person come in right well i get that every day at my my job at the catch in key largo but i imagine the airport is very exciting you have people from all over the world all the time and if you have a regular person that just shows up, I, I mean, you, you can't show up. You have to go through TSA and have a ticket. So you're not going to have a, the casual person. And the nice thing about, I guess another nice thing about it, I'd like to hear this from, from our airport workers, that you have, they have to really be well-behaved. Because if you get in trouble at an airport, 
bar, you not only get kicked out of a bar, you can end up getting kicked off a flight and then end up, you know, going on to a nose fly. You know, I mean, if I had the, that kind of power and say, listen, not only if you start acting up at the bar, will I kick you out of the bar, but I'll call security and then I'll, you know, they'll, they'll alert the airline. You'll get kicked off the flight and you could be put on, you know, there's a chance, I'm sure that's not automatic, that you could be put on a no-fly list. And that's quite a repercussion for someone to having to drink. So it's got to be interesting. I never understood where people, um, I understand, or I do understand that they must be having a major psychotic break, uh, breakdown when they freak out on a plane. That, you know, they, they must not be a frequent traveler or their job must not depend on it. Because that is one thing I would not want to risk when I come in. And also, an interesting part of dealing with people, you get people from all over the world. And as a bartender, I noticed that there are a lot of variations on what people order, depending on where they come from. But being in a tourist destination... Uh, I mean, airport is not necessarily a tourist destination. It's usually a de-embarkation. I don't know. The people, I have to, if I was going to wager a guess on the kind of people that are at an airport, it's people that are waiting for a plane or have a connection. Are waiting for, you know, obviously they're all waiting for a plane, but a connection. Very few people. You'd have to have a serious drinking problem if you get off a plane and have a drink at an airport bar and then leave unless you're waiting for a ride or meet someone there but that's got to be a rarity but I always enjoyed that because you're meeting people and there's rarely you're never going to see that person again unless it's in the terminal and you meet them on the plane oh and a funny thing that did happen that I'd like to relate when we were leaving BWI we were checking in our luggage and while I was in um, Dover, Delaware, we went to a mall and I wanted to get a new backpack for my carry-on. And I ended up getting finding a nice Swiss pack. You know, and it had all these, actually, too many goddamn pockets. I mean, it's like 15, 20 places where you could put things. I can say, you got to remember where you put these things or you have to go through each pocket, which is a process. So I went and emptied it out. I'm looking at it right now. I said, boy, that was something. But I had this pack, and it's very sturdy. So I had a lot of stuff in there. So I'm checking. We're going in. I I went to the computer kiosk check-in to get the tag for my suitcase. And my wife and daughter are watching me. And as I go and take the um, ticket that they printed out out of the kiosk I turn around slowly and there was a display with a sign on it and my backpack is sticking out like 18 inches off my back so I'm not being aware I'm not being aware of the space I'm taking up and I hit it and the sign falls over it's a big metal pole aluminum pole not like solid steel but it almost hits this lady that that's a kiosk and it breaks off the sign that's on it 
I'm standing there doing it. I'm like a bumbling idiot doing that stuff. And my daughter goes, you're so unaware of yourself. And I said, you know what? I was a little embarrassed. And then I realized, hey, you know what? I am not the first person that's had a mistake at the airport. And after that, you know, if I see other people having problems, and we had to, they're really sticklers on some of these airlines for, you know, if you're within two pounds over about your weight. So we had to distribute some of the, uh, the weight from the main bag, but we were able to do it. And then I don't think there was, wasn't anything too embarrassing after that. So getting back to the drinking part. Yeah, uh, for a lot of people, the act of flying, not a newsflash, is a stress-inducing activity. For me, not so much. Mine is the timing, getting on the plane, missing the plane, blah, blah, blah. It's not usually the act of flying. I quickly come to grips with the idea that it's much more dangerous or the chance of getting injured is probably... If, if you were talking percentage-wise or, or just the likelihood, it would be much more dangerous for me to drive from where I am to Delaware than for me to fly. And yes, if something goes wrong on the plane, it usually goes really wrong, really bad. If something goes wrong with a, on a car, there could be a flat tire or an engine failure or you could run out of gas and all sorts of myriads of things. But... The, the likelihood, if you look at the statistics of you dying over amount of miles, is more likely in a car crash than in air. And, and when there's news, you hear it like over the weekend, they talked about a flight that had a bird strike and the plane dropped real quick and all that. Yeah, that's all possibilities. It's all possibilities. Just like there would be if uh, a deer running in front of your car or a motorcyclist or another vehicle. So that nervousness that people have about the flying, about the technicalities, the people that are flying those planes are well-trained. And the technology they use is good. Yes, and you see every so often there's close calls and things like that. But you got to think about the numbers of people that are flying every day. Being involved in an accident is the same percentage as winning a lottery. Or similar, similar to winning the lottery. And But when you see it on the news, you think the likelihood is more often, so you get a little stressed out about it. Now, or you could be agoraphobic, too. There's another thing. They may not be afraid of the flying. It could be the idea of being in close proximity. So in order to manage that, people self-medicate themselves. And I've done it on planes before where uh, I, I generally the one place, I guess, I would have been, if I had managed my drinking like I would when I was flying, I'd probably still be drinking today because I never really drank to the blackout stage or um, the heavy intoxicant. Yes, I've been intoxicated on flights and stuff, but not where I wasn't aware of my behavior. I could be a little more talkative and things like that, but there was never, there was never a time where I was more likely to uh, overindulge on the flight because I was always concerned about the connection and about driving after that and stuff like that. Not so much when I'm on the ground and driving. So hence that. 
But other people I see, they really go at it heavy. They go at it heavy. And I'll tell you, with the size of their bathrooms and having to get up and things like that, I never quite get it. I never get quite get it how how you would sacrifice that stuff. I I on the uh, if I have the opportunity, I take the opportunity to nap a little or relax. I did that a little on the on the plane on the trip up and a little on the way back. Uh, so I feel kind of refreshed when I do it. I'm trying to meditate and do this. And one other interesting story, I just realized this on my. Um, way back we had flew on one of those budget airlines and i purchased on the way down and the way back the, there's eight larger seats in the front instead of six across there's four across sort of wider seats with more room in between you pay a little extra for it i purchased those for you know both the to and fro price i mean the to and fro trips so uh it was my wife and daughter on the way back and I figure it was going to be more crowded, so I'd sit further. I'd sit in this seat where someone else was sitting. So when we got on the plane, there was a gentleman getting on the plane, and he sat on the window seat, and I was on the aisle seat. It came and looked like a regular innocuous guy. came like a white guy. He goes, oh, I got this seat. I got up. He seemed polite and all that stuff. For the next two hours and 15 minutes, he had his iPad out. And he was watching all, it was Hitler speeches, it was the Nuremberg rallies, it was troops passing in succession. And in the beginning, I think for the first hour, I'm thinking, well, maybe the guy's a student. Well, he looked too old for a student. He looked in too, didn't, didn't look too smart for it. But he looked to get excited. When he was watching it, and for the next two hours until the flight, they they took off the uh, seatbelt sign. He was riveted to that screen. He had his earphones on, listening to his iPad, and it was all German and Nazi. And I don't think it was the first time. I think this is stuff he just watches, just watches. And I was the first hour. I was hoping. I said, "Well, I'm hoping maybe he's just studying it, or this is some kind of." Um, documentary and I just didn't get the feel of it then I just didn't get the feel of it but the nice thing about it the guy did not get up from his seat I did not have to get up for him to use the bathroom because he was riveted he was riveted the whole time and I was trying to read and I kept on looking over left and it was just seeing video and I couldn't watch it because he even showed some of the death camps and things like that, which I didn't think would be like a pro thing. I think they were trying to hide it, but they didn't. And I was thinking, well, maybe I, I, I wanted to really, and said, Jim, you, wouldn't you say something to something like that? And I said, thought to myself, what am I going to say? You know, it's a free country. You can watch whatever you want. But then again, I'm thinking, what if he's, he actually is studying that? Or is it one of the guys, a history not like me? But usually for me, when I was watching those, I wouldn't be, I'd be watching, the, the History Channel used to have a lot, we used to call it the Hitler Channel, because it was all World War II. And we're talking about the battles, and you hear about tanks and all that stuff, and the, the fighter planes about all Britain and things like that. This was real centric to the, the leadership of 
Germany, and it looked like speeches they were giving and, and things like that. And I said, towards the end, I said, this guy is not a history, uh, he's a fanboy. And I was at the end, and I was kind of creeped out at the end. And I think, what could I say to this person? What could I say to this person that wouldn't, I mean, that you get, he looked like he was in his mid to late 40s. What, what could I ever say to this person to make him feel any different? There was a, 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 an, an Orthodox Jewish family just a couple rows back. And when I was getting off the plane, I'm thinking, well, maybe I, maybe I did feel that way. And then I, maybe I, I misread this guy. And then there was a young woman behind us. I was telling Abby, and the young woman goes, I was creeped out. That guy was watching that the whole time, and he was smiling when he was watching it. I said, I didn't look at his face. I did not look at his face when he was doing it. But she said, yeah, he was smiling. At, I seen him. I was looking at it between the seats, and I said, oh, boy. And she goes, yeah, he was kind of uh, holding it up when he was turned away from you one time. And he wasn't really worried about people watching, seeing what was playing out on it. So, but he wasn't drinking. So I guess drinking isn't necessarily one of those things. But it's really interesting when the, um, you think about the people you do run in on those flights. And um, I guess I did. I don't know if I talked enough about the drinking part of it and stuff like that. But I'm just talking about how it is similar and different. The bartending is at airports versus a tourist destination. Okay, well, the coming weeks, we are, like I said before, we're in the heart of the busy season here. It seemed like I went to the store today. It's not quite as busy. Uh, I am in a kind of like on the fence about I love it when it's busy because I make money, but I also like it when it's not busy in the store and I'm able to drive. And, you know, I do appreciate the times when there's less people down here. But we did, uh, we are doing well. We got a couple more, I guess we have about four more weeks of this coming up because it's really in the heart of the season and it's warming up up north and then we're going to lose some of those incidental travelers and people are starting to get the word down here because I heard mention on the radio that we're talking about the top 10 uh, spring break destinations and Key West was one of them. But the announcer said Key West, but and it, and it was up in uh, in the Baltimore area. Where I'm listening to it, and the announcer said, "Yeah, but how about those prices there?" So the word's getting out. If we're not careful down here uh, with the lodging and the, all the extra charges down here, we're we're going to really screw ourselves out as a destination because people will get word and they say, "You know, it's nice going down there, but." You're going to have to pay an arm and a leg. And the one thing about maybe, you know, if you've seen how temperate it was around here. I mean, they had 80-degree weather up in the, on the up and down the East Coast in different parts of the United States in February. Once, if the water, if the air temperature is going up a little more, then places that are a little more temperate will become those tourist destinations and they'll be competing for the tourist dollar and spring break dollar so we'll see what happens in the future usually it takes a while for it to shake out 
I mean, it used to be Fort Lauderdale, and then Fort Lauderdale cracked down because they didn't like having all these kids down there, and now it's probably coming back there. But South Florida does have a problem with the prices and stuff like that. But then, eh, you know, we'll see what happens. Well, this is Jim the Keys Bartender. I'm going to drop this episode. I'd like to thank you for listening. I will be back later on this week. Have a great day. Bye.